Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, hear the words of the Lord. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? These are God's words. You may be seated. For those who are of age, we release you to be blessed with Sister Alden and City Light Kids. Uh, a few Sundays ago, I shared that I would sneak away one Sunday during service and go sit in with them because they do have such a good time there. And I was able to do that when Sister Elizabeth was uh, teaching a few Sundays ago. And uh, they are great. They are literally having their own little service in there. So it's awesome. We praise God for uh, them having the opportunity to learn God's word at their age. Amen. It's not a daycare for those of you who have our kids. It's, it's not a daycare. They are being taught God's word as they are in uh, that space. Have you guys enjoyed this time in parables? Yeah. I hope it's been a blessing to you. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, when you're eating on the same thing, it can kind of get a little boring. And for those of you who have been walking with the Lord any length of time, you've, you've read through these texts. The beautiful thing about God's word is it's never quite the same when you go back to it. Amen. You know, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And so I pray that these uh, uh, passages have been brand new to you uh, during our time uh, here in parables. It certainly has uh, for me and I'm sure for uh, Pastor Brian as well. Uh, Pastor Brian and myself serve here at City Light as bivocational pastors. If you've been around, you've heard that word before. For anyone who uh, may have not heard that word before and you're wondering what it means, it's a, a fancy way of saying that we both have day jobs. And my dream of being a stand-up comedian has constantly been crushed here time and time again as failed attempts to be funny have been met with reminders that I should keep my day job. Amen, which, which I do and I will. But I'm going to continue to share jokes till I got all y'all rolling in here. Amen. It's my prayer before God. My day job for the last eight years has been as a realtor. I help people buy and sell homes, and that is not a plug for business. It fits into where we're going. Amen. 
Now, as you can imagine, there are a number of ways that people go about choosing what neighborhood or what type of neighborhood they want to be in when they're looking for a house. A number of factors that one considers in determining what makes a good neighborhood or what makes a good neighborhood for them. For some, it's schools. If you have small children or children who are of school age or will be of school age while you're in a particular area, you want to be in a neighborhood that has good schools. For some, you want to be close to work. Others want to be close to hospitals or entertainment or to the highway. Some want to be close to family. Others, believe it or not, don't want to be anywhere near their family. Some want to be close to town. Others want to be in a neighborhood far away from town. Some choose neighborhood based on who lives there. Others based their decision on who doesn't live there. Through the years, I've developed my own means of determining whether or not I like a neighborhood or not. And it's very simple. So for those who are considering a move, again, no plug. But this is something to add to your list of qualifications as you're trying to choose a neighborhood. And if you're already in a neighborhood, you can use this and go back and grade your neighborhood to see if you picked a good one or not. It's a pro real estate tip that I use on a daily basis, and I'm giving it to y'all today for free. Amen? You ready? A wave. I smile and I wave. I wave at every dog walker. I wave at every car. I wave at everybody who's outside washing their car. If you are outside pulling weeds, I wave at you. If you are outside putting out mulch or pond straw, I wave at you. If you're standing across the street or next door and we come outside and you're, we're outside rather talking and you come out to check your mail, I'm going to smile and wave. Why? What's the science behind this magical wave? I'm glad you asked. Here's my hypothesis, okay? A neighborhood that waves is a neighborhood that neighbors well. Neighborhood that waves is a neighborhood that neighbors well. Conversely, if they won't bother to lift their hand to wave at you, they're not likely to bother to lift a hand when you need help. Amen? That's free. Y'all enjoy that. In our text this morning, we'll see a neighbor in need. And I want to highlight, I pray to highlight for us three things. His burden, his boldness, and the resulting beauty. Burden, boldness, resulting beauty. Look with me, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 6. The word of the Lord says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Jesus speaks a parable about a man who receives an unexpected visit from a friend. 
And not only was this visit unexpected, it was late. Text doesn't tell us exactly what time the friend arrived, but it must have been late because Jesus tells us at midnight the man goes to his neighbor in search of bread for his friend. Now, it wasn't uncommon for people in that day to travel at night looking to escape the heat of the day. So visits like, visits rather like these weren't necessarily uncommon. But again, it, was, it wasn't just late. It was unexpected and late. And even though visits like these were not uncommon, for whatever reason, the man was unprepared to receive his friend. He was unprepared to receive his friend, and we know that because he goes to his neighbor and says, I have nothing to set before him. You see, the markets were closed. It was midnight. There was no 24-hour Walmart, no Kroger, no Super Junior. So the man finds himself standing outside of his neighbor's house at midnight asking for bread to set before his unexpected and late visitor. When's the last time you had an unexpected visitor? We're not even talking about a late visitor, just an unexpected visitor. Too often times we labor to avoid having even expected visitors, right? Especially COVID and post-COVID, we don't want to gather with people. Please don't come to our house. And should some poor, obviously lost soul knocks on our door or rings our doorbell unexpectedly, it's almost as if some strange and unwritten rule has been broken, right? Everyone in the house stops. It's like back in the day when Jehovah's Witness knocked on your door on a Saturday morning. Everybody stops to be, shh, shh, shh. Are you expecting somebody? No, 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 are you? No. We don't even have to get up and sneak a peek through the blinds anymore or, or, or try to make it to the peephole. We can conveniently ignore unexpected guests from the comforts of our couches thanks to ring doorbells and vivid. But this wasn't the case for this man. Not just because he didn't have a ring doorbell. They weren't invented back in that time. This wasn't the case for him because his culture wouldn't allow him to ignore his guest. Unexpected, late, the culture demands that he show hospitality. One commentary shares the following regarding hospitality. Hospitality was a crucial obligation. The host must feed the traveler who has graced his or her home by coming to spend the night. Although many homes would have used up their day's bread by nightfall, in a small village people would know who still had bread left over. In modern villages of that region, bread may last for several days, but one must serve a guest a fresh, unbroken loaf as an act of hospitality, end quote. And get this, this was interesting. Not only must you feed the guests, the guest has to eat. To refuse to serve or refuse to eat were both considered an offense. So two things I want to note in our first point. 
Number one, the man receives his friend. Unexpected, late, inconvenient, unprepared, the friend is received. Number two, in receiving the friend, the man is compelled to minister to his need. If we're going to neighbor well, we have to embrace the burden of receiving people. Amen? I want us to hear that because I know sometimes we struggle with that. But if we're going to neighbor well, we have to embrace the burden of receiving people. And attached to that call of neighboring well is the burden of serving people. It's not a this or that. It's this and that. He could have easily said, hey, bro, you know, the missus didn't get to the market today. Or, uh, bro, you know them hungry kids of mine, man, they ate all the bread. I'll, I'll fix you up in the morning, though, when the market's open. I don't see his friend being a friend offended by that, right? But in this text, I see Jesus calling us to push ourselves past the point of our own convenience for the sake of others. Matthew chapter 9, we see these words. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly, therefore, to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's not enough to simply see the need. We have to lean into it. The man saw the need of his friend and it burdened him and it burdened him to the point of doing something that he wouldn't normally do. Look with me at our text again, uh, middle of verse 5. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. It's in the middle of the night, it's midnight. The man is probably in his robe. May have been some small talk, you know, as they, they got in, they welcomed, come in, come in, come in. How was the trip? Yeah, good, good, good. How was the family? So where are you heading to? How long might you be staying with us? For some of us, that might be our first question, right? How long are you staying? But after some time, the man excuses himself, and knowing that he has nothing to set before his friend, he tips out the door heading to his neighbor's house. Now, he knows the hour, so I don't imagine uh, uh, he went next door initially banging and yelling. Now, I imagine he's feeling some type of way about even having to go to his neighbor's house to make a request of him at this hour. But remember, he has a burden. He's not going for himself. He's going on behalf of another. And so he knocks. Hey, Tyrone. There's no response. It's midnight. Folks are asleep. Scripture says the door is shut. Children are in bed. He knocks again, but a little harder this time. Tyrone, you up? Of course he's not up. It's midnight, right? Who's up? No response. 
Maybe he puts his ear to the door to check to see if he hears anybody stirring in the house. He knocks again a little harder. By the time it's a regular daytime knock. Hey, Tyrone, not whispering anymore. His efforts to be polite have not paid off, but he finally gets a response. Corey? Tyrone, of course, is a little put out for me knocking on his door at this time of night asking about some bread. So his response is expected, right? In verse 7 we see, uh, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. Tyrone and Glory got a you know, decent-sized house. I don't know why his children are in bed with him. Maybe they're indoor camping or something. But the man has a burden. There are needs that uh, uh, need to be met, and his desire is to see those needs met. And so uh, uh, this burden has given him boldness, a boldness that he would not normally have. So again, he knocks, but louder this time. And he calls out louder this time. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything. The guy who is within Tyrone is not getting up out of his bed because he is my friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he wants. Because of his impudence. I love this word. This word is very important because it modifies his boldness. It's Strong's number 335, and I don't want to butcher the pronunciation because even in looking at it, I saw different ones, but it's something like a nadi or a nadia. Strong's number 335, amen? And yes, it means on the face what you think it means. It means boldness at its root. If you recall the the charge on last week to pray persistently, this is that persistent boldness. This is that I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, Jacob boldness. This is that widow before the unjust judge demanding justice boldness. This is that keep on keeping on boldness. This is that Dr. Strange Dormammu I've come to bargain. Boldness for those of you who have seen the movie. The word indicates that the man cannot be embarrassed. It doesn't matter that the hour is late. It doesn't matter that the guy he's trying to uh, 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 get this bread from is asleep and that his children are there. He is without shame and without limits in his boldness. And he will be as irritating, as indignant, as loud, and as obnoxious as he needs to be to get what he came for. And he will not be leaving until he gets it. Like the woman in Luke 18 we saw on last week, the man is persistent. But unlike the woman in Luke 18, he doesn't persist for his own need. He is shamelessly bold, shamelessly persistent for the needs of another. So his boldness has a resulting beauty. It's important to note that this parable is prefaced 
with the disciples asking Jesus to teach him how to pray. As we've seen time and time again, as Jesus speaks the parable, normally there's something that has happened before that that leads up to him telling this parable. Look with me if you have your Bibles or have your phone open. Luke 11, verse 1. The disciples are asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This was probably not the first time that the disciples heard Jesus praying. But for whatever reason, something for them changed in this moment. And during my time this week, I really had to examine my prayer life. And I want to ask you, what has your prayer life been like? Is it a strong prayer life? Do you feel like your prayer life is lacking, that you really need some work, that you don't know how to pray? I'm going to take a, 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 a gamble and say that you've, you've prayed before. I'm going to take a gamble and say that you've had times where uh, 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 your prayers have gone almost immediately from greeting to request. I'm going to take a gamble and say that you've had times where your prayers were very much you-focused. I'm going to take a gamble and say that you've had times where you wanted to pray and maybe felt the need to pray or a burden to pray, but either didn't pray or didn't pray for very long because you really didn't know what you were praying for or what to say as you prayed. Anybody ever been there? If you haven't, I've, I've been all three. But I'm hoping for a shift. So take everything that you've heard about the burden, the uh, uh, boldness, and turn it towards prayer. And consider Jesus' response to the disciples as they look to him and say, teach us how to pray. He says to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He doesn't say eternal God or God of the universe or king of kings or creator God or my sovereign Lord. Even though God is all of these things. He says, say Father. The word is Abba. It's, an, it's a term of endearment used by children who share an affectionate, dependent relationship with their father. We're shifting. This is meant to bring God close. Psalm 23 and 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for thou art with me. John 14, verses 16 through 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be with you. We're shifting. 
Jesus, when at the tomb of Lazarus, he prays and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you hear me always. He always hears because the Father is near. He's not some distant, detached, uninvolved celestial who couldn't care less about what you're going through. He's close. So close, in fact, that Jesus instructs when you pray, say, Abba, Father. But close doesn't mean common. Amen. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Just because he is close doesn't mean he's our equal or that we are his equal. God is other. He is set apart. He is holy. And his being close is a measure of his grace and his goodness towards us and does not speak of our worth apart from him. Jeremiah 10 and 6, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and great is your name in might. 1 Samuel 2, there is no one holy like you, O Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Yes, he is Abba. Yes, he is close. But we come as children, mind the word, Abba, signifying affectionate, dependent relationship. We don't come before him with demands. But we come as children before a loving father who gives us permission to come and make our requests known before him. Philippians 4 and 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We are shifting. Yes, he is Abba. Yes, he is close, but he is not like us. He is holy. And so we say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Charles Spurgeon shares this on the thought of this phrase, your kingdom come. We are not satisfied that thou shouldest be anything less than king. Our heart's desire is reign, gracious God, over us and over all men. Thou will be done in heaven, as in heaven, so in earth. Thy will be done rather than ours. Abba, affectionate, dependent, hallowed, holy, all good, all God, your kingdom come all good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Psalm 103, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
God is not made in our image. We are made in his. As creator, he has purpose, he has plans, and he has made provisions. We're shifting. Finally, Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. And we, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Hear the words. Give us this day. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. We're shifting our focus in prayer. Yes, we hold to the challenge we received on last week to persist in prayer, but we don't want to be selfish in prayer. Prayer is first and foremost about God. And what he has done to make us no longer slaves to sin, but dear children through the adoption of the Spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. According to the instruction Jesus gives to his disciples on prayer, not only is prayer first and foremost about God, the second focus of prayer is also on God. Hallowed be your name. Do we take the time to feel the weight of his presence when we pray? I never got to meet the now late Queen Elizabeth. But I bet there was weight to her presence. Being royalty, I bet people acted differently, felt differently when she was in the room. How much more should we feel when the presence of God is in the room? If we want radical change in our prayer life, we have to radically change how we see and come to God. The third focus of prayer is yet still on God. Thy kingdom come. We're three quarters of the way through the model that Jesus has given and our hearts in prayer are still vertical. It's not until you get to the last quarter of Jesus' instructions that we see any request. And when you do see requests, you see him saying, don't focus on you. Look out on the needs of others. Think of others in every petition. There's no eyes in his prayer. There are no me's or my's in his prayer. There's only us, we, and our. So yes, persist in prayer, be bold in prayer, but be inclusive in prayer. If we do these things, I think that we'll find that our time with God in prayer will be more intimate, more intentional, and more fulfilling. And so I want to give you in closing how we get there. The three C's of more intimate, more intentional, more fulfilling prayer. Christ, community, consistence. We can only cry, Abba, Father, because of what Christ has done. So prayer should be gospel-centered. 
We can only pray for others if we know the needs of others. So rather than uh, 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 ignoring the unexpected visitor and avoiding scheduling time with visitors, we should lean into the community around us. While this is probably the most scary part for some of us, it's also the biggest blessing or one of the biggest blessings that God has given outside of Christ, the church, our brothers and sisters in faith. And lastly, consistency. As you are praying for the needs of the community around you, because you have come to know the community around you and know their needs, and their needs are burdening you, let us be shamelessly bold, shamelessly persistent before the Lord on behalf of that community. And if we do these things, we will find ourselves neighboring well. Loving God and loving neighbor through Christ-exalting, self-sacrificing, persistent prayer. And for a brief look at the resulting beauty, let's look at the last few verses. Luke chapter 11. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What what father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him ask and it will be given seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you the resulting beauty of your burden and your boldness in prayer is knowing that when you pray you will be heard by God found by God and received by God my family is a beautiful thing let us pray father father 